To me, the X-Men became about, it was actually about adults versus children. Because I felt that the whole thrust of the X-Men was actually about the generational thing, that people dislike their children because new ways of looking at things and adults kind of don't like that because it's threatening to them. So I saw the X-Men as being about that and basically that's where we took it in that direction. Basically about the war between adults and youth. I don't know. Don't look at me. I'm looking at you. You got yourself into that. <laughs> I'm looking at you for validation, Stan. <laughs> Welcome to E for Evolution, examining Grant Morrison's X-Men, and we are your hosts. I'm Perry. Hey, guys. I'm Oscar. And this is Pat. Hi there. How are you guys doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm feeling nice and fit and ready to go. I'm good. Um, just saw the Oscar shorts. They were pretty good. Yeah, I checked out of the Oscars years ago. I <laughs> Uh, I can't remember I really... what it... Go ahead, Perry. No, I think I think it was when I finally moved to Japan that I just stopped bothering because there's no way to watch it like easily that way. So you have to actually go to the effort. And at that point, I just kind of like, um, I'm, I'm done. I like every year. I try and watch the, the nominated films every year because they're, they're generally all good films. Like, you know, it's not very many shit movies that get nominated for an Oscar. All right, uh, so today we are talking about New X-Men number 133. Uh, this is titled Dust, and um, we've got the usual credits. Grant Morrison, of course, is writing. Um, Ethan Von Shithead is the penciler on this one, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, we've got um, Norm Ratmund is the inker. Chris Chuckery is the colorist. Uh, Richard Starkings and Comic Craft, uh, Comic Craft Sida are doing the letters. Um, Mike Raked and Nova Rensuma are the editors. Uh, Joe Casada, editor in chief, and Bill Jemis is Marvel president. And we got another Frank Whiteley cover. Mm -hmm. uh, so, what do you guys think of this? The, the introduction of Dust to the to the X to the Marvel universe to the X Men verse. Um, the X-Men take on, um, I think the Taliban, though I don't think they were actually named in the issue. Um, it, it, it feels like this is, I think this maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the first time they sort of taken on this kind of real life bad guys that I can recall when this issue came out. Yeah, I can't think of a similar time when they have. So this is probably you're probably right. This is probably the first time that's happened. Wasn't like Wolverine and um, Captain America? Didn't they fight Nazis together or something? Well, that yeah, but I think he was talking about in the context of the X Men specifically, as opposed to just uh, you know Wolverine on his own. Because Wolverine has yeah. definitely taken on different types in the past. But yeah, the X. This is the first time you've seen this kind of thing happen really um, with 
they did have that um the flashback issue that oscar mentions when and i think also like one of the the a phoenix miniseries that chris claremont did with mm-hmm. rachel going back in time or something to world war ii oh, it's an interesting contrast between like the last issue which was the 9-11 tribute and then here you have the x-men sort of taking on unnamed fundamentalists mm. um so it just seemed like morrison was trying to make a point it's definitely almost another 9-11 tribute issue i feel mm-hmm. um I, it really does encapsulate everything that morrison was trying to do in terms of grounding the x-men in some kind of level of realism but injecting this crazy sci-fi stuff as well. Do you yeah, guys and, agree? Yeah, I never thought about it uh, in the context uh, of 9-11. It was, I think it was just because this was, you know, this was a big thing that was happening at the time. So it wasn't a surprise to see a character go off, go after um, fundamentalist terrorists at this time. You know, it was kind of like how in World War II, you saw all these characters going up against um against nazis wasn't wasn't surprising to see so um whereas uh but you're right pat this is uh it it, the the way it follows the the previous issue on genosha which was the 9-11 tribute issue definitely feels like there's there's more being said here than is on the surface yeah and and i mean that that page one of the bad guys literally the aircraft is now a weapon in a righteous cause like Mm -hmm. it's definitely out to push some buttons. There's no subtlety there at all, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're treating this kind of subject, I feel like you can't afford to be subtle. Mm-hmm. I think this is the probably the most we've seen Wolverine do in a Morrison issue for a while, too, because uh, he's mm-hmm. mostly he wasn't really. I think the last time we really saw him this effective was probably in um, uh, Germ Free Generation. Mm hmm. Um, and we see Phantom X again, up to his same old, um, to me, amusing tricks, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also an interesting introduction to Dust because it's it kind of foreboding and interesting to me. Like the only thing you know about her, she uh, kind of, I'm not sure what the right word is, skeletonize these poor, not so poor people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think it's an effective reveal, like, oh, we don't really know who she is, what she can do other than. <laughs> There's some dead dudes in the tent, and they did not go pleasantly. Speaking of yes. what you said about the the commentary on real life stuff, um, this is something that I don't think was being talked about that much of the time. Was the fact that this um, the Taliban and the other warlords um, that the U.S. bankrolled at different points? You know, first in the '80s with the Taliban because they were used to be the Mujahideen, and then. The, the a lot of the warlords that we bankrolled during the the war on terror they were involved in this in human trafficking and mm-hmm. and like he says you know these are the names of you know the richest uh, of some of the richest people on the planet and connecting it to the x men in uh mutant slave trade it's all it, i don't know how i feel about it to be honest i i, I think i've got to try and transport myself back to like 2002 when September 11 happened and everything was so cataclysmic in terms of 
the the world globally, right? So mm-hmm. it, it just flows that it would would naturally seep into pop culture in such a uh, unsubtle and um, almost like bullhorn kind of way. Looking back on it now, I I, I don't know how I feel about it. I, I don't know whether I think it's um, it it was insensitive or uh yeah i'm struggling to to sort of articulate it how do you guys feel looking back on it through that lens of 20 years i think it depends on the on the comic um like we were talking about last episode the the spider-man 9-11 issue has not aged well but um this i think about this one in particular this i think has aged pretty fine because this is um I mean, it's still going on too. Is another thing too. So <laughs> yeah, um, and it's well, not—it's not making necessarily a direct commentary on the war itself. This is just more dealing with things that are happening on the periphery of the war. So it's kind of divorced in a in a little way because there's the the line about the richest people in the world. But other, other than that, it is kind of divorced from the the politics surrounding it. Um. So uh, I'm fine with it. Um, it just seems to be an, an example of comics, you know, reflecting reality at the time, which we saw before in, in Vietnam and um, in World War II, like I mentioned before. And it's not something like, you know, like Rambo Three, where they had a dedication to the Mujahideen at the end, which has not aged well. And I, I mean, it's nothing. There's nothing particularly, I think, controversial or. Um, weird about the X-Men sort of being anti-fundamentalist. I mean, mm-hmm. It seems pretty consistent with their mission statement and raison d'etre. Like, uh, you know, even at this point, there is sort of the middle ground between all of this extremist factions between humans and like the quote-unquote evil mutants. So it, it's kind of a timely commentary, but it's sort of the same time restating their I guess like political positioning like they're anti-fundamentalists and that makes sense that's consistent and the x-men have always had these kinds of reflections reality like you know most famously was obviously magneto's origin story Mm -hmm. um which is very much tied to that time and would possibly cause some issues when the x-men end up making it to the the big screen (laughs) yeah um and the the scene in the plane too i thought is a nice echo of um reminded me of Actually, the first time Phantom X showed up where Charles was like, you know, we don't have time for chimpanzee politics. And, you know, here he's like, yep, mental powers. Just we don't have time for this. We don't have time for this crashing planes business. Now, that part had me a little. I mean, I understand using your powers to stop them. But Mm -hmm. at the end there, like when he's taking him off the plane, it it sounds like he's completely rewired the guy's brain, which raises some <laughs> some different ethical concerns. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. it's interesting how um, when the, I think the Spider-Man September 11 issue, I'm not sure because I, as I said before, I didn't read it, but there's a like sort of tried to answer the question of like, what were the Avengers doing or what were the superheroes doing when September 11 happened? Like, how could they have let this happen? And then that was like a, a question people were asking not not people probably kids maybe um or people in the marvel universe and were, were asking and then this kind of answers it as to what would have happened had the x-men been nearby mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um 
I don't know, like to, to go back to what uh, Percy was saying, I do kind of imagine a scene with this this dastardly character sort of being put in a school like a Sandra Nova. And maybe Charles just sort of accelerated the timeline. And so, I mean, it's still a, a kind of mental manipulation, but he like kind of, in my head canon anyway, I think like he literally took him to school. It's like a literary device though, right? To yeah. get someone, to, to get us as the audience to accept the the good character, um, mm -hmm. especially in film. It happens in comics as well. I guess with Wolverine is probably the best example that it happens with. But um, you get this this good character who's um, moral and upright and they just tolerate so much and so much and so much. And it gets to the point where finally they have to um, kill the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we accept it because we see that they're such good people and they've been pushed to this limit. And I feel like maybe that's can apply here with Professor X doing that to this guy's brain, right? You're not supposed to go and rewire people's thoughts and their activities and their behaviors because it's um ethically the wrong thing to do mm -hmm. but here professor xavier does it to the the fundamentalist um terrorist and we all accept it because that's like the worst of the worst of the worst i i just find that an interesting thing that when i read it i didn't i didn't feel that bad for that character at all it seemed like the appropriate response uh, and I, to, and to be fair, I I don't think I'd say that. Like having, if he did employ that method, I, I don't I don't think Charles is sort of the he's not the most upright. I mean, if we want to talk yeah. about in those terms, upright. <laughs> he's not. He was never that kind of character. And if you thought he was, I got some comic issues for you. <laughs> yeah. To read. Um, <laughs> And, and he's a flawed was, man, as we all yes, are. Yes, yes, as as most of them are, which I think is what makes us keep coming back to these characters. Um, what do you think of Jean's look in this issue, wearing the the Phoenix T-shirt under um, with the X uniform? Because I I think this is a I like this this look that she's she's wearing here. It it sets it apart from um, a little bit more and makes it a little bit more individualistic from the uh, the rest of the uniforms. Um, I Was she wearing this on one of the covers previously? Mm -hmm. uh, the next, the cover for the next issue, I believe. Yeah, that's where it comes from. I I hate to say it, but I kind of love it. Like I I I I love it when when my comic characters like start dressing in contemporary stuff. Um, because I'm a gay person. Um, I I I I love it. It's great. I it makes her more relaxed, not as like. Although the one one sometimes thinks that she's kind of projecting this air of um, cash, like being casual, maybe to put people at ease, like, guys, don't worry. I know I'm like manifesting raptors and stuff, but look at me. I'm relaxed. I'm wearing this baby doll shirt. It's it's fine. It's fine. Nothing to worry about. Uh, I, I feel like um, <clears throat> we were me. being teased about Phoenix being close to Jean Grey for like 10 or 15 years by the time that mm -hmm. it started to get as overt as it is in in morrison's run mm -hmm. so i didn't feel that it was you know a sign of impending doom or anything like that i just thought it was naturally a part of the character yeah same here i never thought it was like foreshadowing anything um i think it was more just a reflection of what she was going through at the time because this is after she's manifested the phoenix power several times so this if anything it just seems to be her getting more comfortable with her Phoenix association. Um, 
but which is also kind of weird because she had already been at that point for a while in the comics like she had started her she had gone back to calling herself phoenix back in the mid 90s and then Mm -hmm. in you know in the at the end of the 90s she was back to wearing the the classic phoenix costume and then in you know in claremont's second run too she was wearing even a red phoenix costume which you know brought back memories of dark phoenix and all that and and it it and it's not like it was a great loss to not reflect those issues because they weren't there wasn't anything that special about it and i think it was mm-hmm. x-men forever basically just kind of established that it wasn't the phoenix force but it was just her powers maturing to a point where she was becoming as powerful as the phoenix whereas morrison you know completely brought back the phoenix force Yeah, I, I prefer I prefer the Morrison version. I prefer that the Phoenix Force is coming back rather than her powers are just making her to that godlike level. And I'm not a big cosmic story fan, but um, yeah, I, I much prefer Morrison's take on it than Claremont's in that sense, which is interesting because Phoenix is kind of Claremont's. Um, Jewel in the crown of all of well, actually, that was uh, that wasn't comics, that wasn't Ryan. Claremont's take. That was uh, Nisiesa's actually. Okay, and X Men Forever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, the not the Claremont did another series called X Men Forever, but it was it was not it was not tied to continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, this was yeah, it X, was, well, it was yeah, like what X-Men, he had originally intended, right before he left. Half. Because he had obviously he he and he's talked about what he had originally intended uh, back in the time a lot of times in interviews and basically the only thing he kept from what he originally intended was killing Wolverine but um, but a lot of the other stuff was just you know it was you can tell like reading it it's not so much he's dusting off his old plans and he's just kind of making new I making new plans because he's changed as a writer you know some people would say not for the better but <laughs> that's another story. Um, what do you guys think of the introduction of the um, the the Mumbai X-Core team, which you get in, in this issue, in this page here? Um, I love the X-Core. I, I love the idea of the, the different teams being scattered around the world. It reminds me of the 90s when we had like Excalibur just being like, the English-based version of, uh, or the British-based version of the X-Men. I really like that they're wearing their, their like traditional comic book costumes and saying like, oh, the people in Asia love it. That's um, that's really cool and it's really kitsch and it's sort of, I can imagine that being cool, you know, like superheroes. Well, Perry, you're the first perfect person to ask. Um, does it seem realistic that if we did live in a world with superheroes, in Japan, they would love this kind of outfit. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, there's, you know, I mean, you got the whole the Super Sentai thing, and whenever they do live action adaptations of those types of things um, in big budget movies, there's like they did, um, they did a Gachaman uh, live action version in Japan, which was the it was released in, the, in America as Battle for the Planets, I think. Uh, and they had kept the and the designs, the costumes, all of that completely faithful to the original uh, anime. And so, yeah, they there's none of this concern of like, how are we going to make these costumes seem grounded in the real world? None of that at all here. 
Thank God. Um, <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought it was a cool team. I always appreciate Morrison's um, penchant for deploying characters who may not earn a spot in a big marquee book and putting them to effective use like he does here. Um, I mean, it's always cool to see like some of these, excuse me, everybody, C or D listers, but let's be honest, they kind of are. Get some spotlights and making some fans happy. I mean, if nothing else, they're good for some comedic relief. Like, we can't operate our cerebra. We don't have a telepath. And Gene's like, well, you actually don't need one. So, um. Also, another uh, another reference to small continuity reference is when he says, you know, he thought when Professor X says, James Proudster, I thought you were dead, mm-hmm. um, which is referring to the end of the, the X-Force run. Mm-hmm. Um, because they had apparently, it seemed like they had all died at the end of that issue. And then they'd all come back pretty quickly after. Um, and I think this is the only time that it ever really been addressed in mm-hmm. comics, actually. Um, but that, that leads me to think that he had, uh, that, well, Morrison had used the character and then afterwards editorial have been like, oh, by oh, the way, actually, by the <laughs> yep, way, dead. that character is supposed to be dead. So mm-hmm. just put in a line to be like, whoa, weren't you dead? Actually, I think it may have been, um, I think it may have come out of the, uh, the Phantom X storyline because Cannonball appears in that and he was part of the team that had supposedly died and there was no mention mm-hmm. of that. So I think, oh, okay. So people maybe said like, what the yeah, hell? Yeah. Um, was I, I really like the X Corp comp uh, concept as well. I think it's, it's kind of cool to look back on it. I was thinking about this last night after rereading these issues, but you know, Morrison would later on go to to use this same idea with uh, with Batman Incorporated too, mm-hmm. and um, if he had stayed on the X Men, I think it would have been cool to see, or if he had you know gotten an X Corp book or something like that, I think it would have been cool to see what he would have done with that concept mm-hmm. uh, with the X characters because there's so much more to play with here as opposed to just with Batman Incorporated. You got to create a whole bunch of new characters. Yeah, I mean that the bench is so deep. I, I don't mm-hmm. think. You may run out of word world regions first before you run out of X Men characters. Yeah, I think an X Corp book would be really cool, and and you know to focus it, you know to have like the the Europe branch, the Asian branch, mm. the Australian branch. Like I think that's mm. a really cool concept, and I I don't know why it hasn't been explored yet, um, but I think it's really cool. I was uh, very excited when an X Corp book did recently come out, and then I don't think I've ever been more bitterly disappointed <laughs> the next title it was it was awful i haven't read it but i've heard enough about it oh it was awful it was really bad i put it up there actually with a title that came out not probably around this time about in 2002 did you guys ever remember that one called brotherhood yeah yeah the one that was um written by the by the writer who's only known as X and everybody suspects yeah, it was, was Howard Mackey. That was they Howard Mackey. That's what that no one ever like no one knows. I don't think it's ever been revealed, but that's what everyone was suspecting at the time. Huh. Okay. It started with a bit of promise. The first issue was like okay and then it just went Ugh. but anyway, that's uh, I, I digress. Um has Jane mentions that you don't need to be a telepath to use Cerebro. Is there any, can you think of any examples where that has actually happened? Yeah, that was actually the case for a long time up until the movie. Um, it was only, 
because I think in the original days it was originally you had to be a telepath, but mm-hmm. the X-Men went through long periods when they didn't have a telepath on the team, but they were still using Cerebro. Um, not necessarily the helmet, but they were using like Cerebro tracking units or, or something like that. So, um, so I think this is just uh, reflecting back uh, on that, trying to restore it back to what it was originally about because the way Cerebro works now, it's that it enhances mental abilities to an extent. So I'd imagine that if you don't, if you have telepathy, obviously it would make it more powerful, but maybe if you don't, it can still give you kind of an idea of where mutants are. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe it doesn't do the copy function yeah. that it supposedly always has done. Um, let's turning everyone into iPhones. Yeah. Let's talk about Lilandra. Poor Lilandra. Poor, poor Lilandra. Um, it, it, it just, it amuses me so much that like apparently, so the Empress is, is not having a good time. She's not feeling very stable. And apparently the Shi'ar just managed to lose her. Um, this is kind of like the, the planet. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, this is kind of the beginning of the end for Landra because she, mm-hmm. after this, I don't think we really see her again until War of Kings. Sh- War oh, of Kings, right? No, Fall of the Shi'ar Empire. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, and that's where, that's the one where she dies, I believe. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really have a lot of feelings towards Lilandra. I, I, I didn't, I guess because of the age I was when I started reading the comics, like I don't really know that much about her. She, I read um, the Dark Phoenix saga probably around the same time that this came out. I went on eBay, went and bought little collections of the old books to, um, complete my collection and i read it through that way and even then when i think about it, it she wasn't really that big of a character no in dark phoenix saga especially she only really appears at the end um she was a much bigger presence in the earlier phoenix saga but but yeah and it it kind of felt like people didn't really know what to do with her <laughs> Because that you know, she just kind of she's Professor X's space girlfriend who's just kind of there all the time. And every once in a while, he'll when they needed him to be away from the books, he'd you know pop over to the the Shi'ar galaxy. But other than that, like they didn't really have a whole lot to do with her. I'm much more interested in Deathbird. I think she's way cooler. Mm. Yeah. So what do you guys what do you guys think of Dust? The introduction of the uh, the first Muslim. Uh, I don't forgive me, people, if I'm saying it wrong, but she's wearing the the. Is it a niqab? I think I think that's what it's called. It's not a burqa because you can still see the eyes. So I'm thinking sure it's a niqab. Yeah, I think it, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if it's if you're pronouncing it right, but I think that's what it's called. If I'm, I'm pronouncing not, I'm it wrong, sh- just blame my accent. I'm not sure of the pronunciation myself either. So <laughs> I remember being pretty controversial at the time being like, whoa. But it made me think about how the X-Men are supposed to be controversial like that. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the seventies, the X-Men was being led by Storm, a black female character was the leader of the superhero team. Mm-hmm. And that was um, you know, unheard of and pretty controversial. And in the middle of the war, which in Afghanistan and then Iraq, it as bad as it as it sounds, it really was put in some context by media 
i.e. Fox News, as, you know, the Western world against the Arab world. Mm -hmm. And so for Marvel to be like, well, we're going to have a new Arab character and she's going to wear the the, uh, face covering. I imagine there would have been some people in Fox News that got their panties in a twist. Yeah, I can't remember if they did at the time or not. Um, Probably because there were... Fox News only tends to get worked up over comics when it's a slow news day and they need something to come to you know scare their old viewers about mm. but um i can't remember if they got mad about this i do remember you know it being somewhat controversial and but it, it's funny like because like you said you know the x-men have always been that way and if the internet had existed back when um giant size x-men came out you know the internet would have blown up <laughs> i mean you've got you're putting a you're putting a Russian on the team at the time, right? Yeah, the War. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that alone would have caused people to lose their shit. Getting rid of all the old cast members uh, <laughs> who were all basically white guys and one white girl for a bunch of uh, a bunch of foreigners. Mm-hmm. Like it would have been. You, you hear all the talk about you know SJW now. Imagine what it would have been like back then. Mm. That blows my mind to think to even consider how. Uh how much polemic and scandal it would have caused right and you know what i bet Ethan, and one of the things i love about this too is that uh well i love and hate about it is the fact that you know evs drew this issue mm-hmm. so one of his claims to fame is creating the first muslim superhero i bet he fucking hates that even though he you know <laughs> you guys were bagging him out so much i did a little bit of research i don't know if i told mm. you guys this already and forgive me if i'm repeating a story but i was like interested and i was like hmm, i wonder it can't be that bad and then oh. i found his twitter <laughs> yeah yeah and then and then and i was like mouth open shocked aghast like mm. wow this guy is fucked in the head. Mm-hmm. And I think there's another word to use to describe it. He is gone. Yeah, he's completely blacklisted. <laughs> like, he can't get like, any work anymore because of this. Shit. I don't think he cares. I think he's so deep in, down that rabbit hole that he oh, yeah. is, like, culted and can't see the, the, the real world. It's funny because it's kind of boomeranging on him now because his, uh, his Indiegogo campaigns are going unfulfilled. And mm. like so many people in the comments on those campaigns are like complaining and saying they want their money back. So, because right now he's he's basically just a YouTube grifter. That's all he does now. Yeah. What a loser. What an absolute loser. And it's a shame. Well, it's a shame what happens to anyone, but he does have talent. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is like tragic and like what what happened? I really don't know. Um, I guess I, I think it's just you know I don't really care. He's riding the <laughs> yeah. he's riding the right wing grift train, just like you know, just like so many other people have figured out that's a way to make like you know Glenn Greenwald or, or Tulsi Gabbard. They figured out that's how we make money is riding the right wing grift train. Except, is he making money? I mean, who knows? I mean, obviously he's got <laughs> he's got to be making enough money because he keeps doing it. So okay, all right. So like, I mean, and. and I mean, you know, it's terrible to to think about it, but it is it is a profitable industry. That's why so many people do it. So, um, that, that, there's also an element of getting attention, right? So, yeah. the more they post about that stuff, the more people reply. 
the more attention they get, which makes it a self-feeding machine, which is yeah. one of the reasons why Facebook is so popular, right? Or, or Instagram or Instagram or Twitter. The more you interact with the, or mm. TikTok, the more you interact with social media, the more returns you get, the more yeah. likes you get, the more responses. And it, it encourages you to be doing it more. So social media is a big reason why I think these people fall into this. Um, oh, absolutely. If the social media, if there was some regulation on social media and they had cut down on some of this stuff, like I guarantee you at least a third of these grifters would go broke overnight. <laughs> Just like with Google, when Google changed their something in their algorithms, there were a bunch of people who made all their money from SEO manipulation and overnight they lost everything. I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer to it, but I do like the, um, I do like, I guess it's irony of um, that douchebag introducing dust. Mm. Yeah. Um, Who's another character that stuck around. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, uh, she didn't do much in Morrison's run, but she became a, a big player in, um, in the new X-Men, the, the you know, Academy that, X stuff, right? The Academy yeah. X, the, mm -hmm. the Kyle Yost and, what was it, Yost and? Um, uh, Chris Yost and? Craig Kyle. Craig Kyle. Craig Kyle, Kyle that's mm -hmm. it. And I keep saying Kyle Yost as if it's one person. Um, that run that they did was is, is up there with one of my favorite ever X-Men runs. It was so, so good. And yeah, that's when I became a big fan of Dust. I only read some of it. I don't think I got to the, the Yost and Kyle stuff in my in my reading but i gotta it was really good every issue was up, like yeah. very... i liked what i i had read of it and i've heard that their stuff when you get to their stuff it's like you know amazing so mm -hmm. it gets really dark you never every time an issue came out you never knew whether your favorite character was going to survive or not because <laughs> they killed a lot of them mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and there's a few punk outs and stuff but it was still yeah it was really really good a lot of character development and it was really sad when that issue left I remember getting quite excited when they were they got given their own X-Men title. I think they did Amazing X-Men. And it yeah, yeah. was nowhere near as good as their young X-Men stuff. I think maybe editorial was much more uh, involved in the Amazing X-Men. Well, the in... Amazing, that era, it was a weird period for the X-Books, if I remember, because it was, well, Bendis' stuff was, it was kind of like that weird middle ground between, um, I think it was after Bendis or some, it was after AVX and it was like this weird middle ground type of place where it was in. And the book didn't really, I think it was because they didn't, nobody really knew what was happening with the X-Men books at the time. Um, but I remember because um, Aaron had done the first arc, I think, which mm -hmm. was Nightcrawler's Resurrection. Nightcrawler, yep. And that was really good. And then Craig and Kyle or Kyle and Yost came on. I'm getting mixed up on the names too. Uh, they'd come on and they had done some stuff with it. And it was okay for what it was. It was nice at the time, I remember, to have like kind of this old school X-Men team comic. But it was it was nothing special. No, it was it was nowhere near as good as their new X-Men run, which was fantastic. Yeah, I got to get that, but I'm just really waiting do. for the for the trades to, to come on sale. The artwork in it is incredible with Scotty Young, and uh, they really start to mine the huge cast that they have and uh, give them a lot of depth, and it was just, yeah, it was incredible.
really, really good. I think some early Mark Brooks too before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like very early Mark Brooks. Speaking before, of before EVS, him, and, him and uh, him and EVS are engaged in like an ongoing Twitter war. <laughs> Mark Brooks is great. Follow him on Twitter. Mm-hmm. He's he's hilarious. Yes. Um, I like that they brought Sunfire. I've always liked Sunfire. Like I, I've always, he's a character I've always wanted. Yeah, I, I've always. I've always thought he was a he was an interesting guy, and I've always wanted to see more of him in the comics. Um, I haven't read the 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 current X Men run where he's he's a member of the team, so I'm looking forward to to getting that when the trades come on sale. Well, I don't want to upset you, but it is pretty standard in that Sunfire is um, still in the periphery, even when he's in the spotlight. They did the same thing when he was on Uncanny Avengers. He was just he was there, <laughs> but he was just kind of like on the periphery and he didn't really do much that's disappointing yeah but i think he's going to be one of the cast members of the new x-men red book so we might see a bit more of him there okay yeah i don't know about sunfire like i'm the same thing like i think it's it's cool character i really liked that he was like anti-american when he was introduced Uh, i thought that was like a really cool uh thing because you know the whole world doesn't love america surprise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. surprise guys um i do but... like this line too you know when <laughs> feels like you know don't just stand there and tell everyone you're using your special nuclear powers <laughs> but i am using my special <laughs> nuclear powers that that was actually a cool funny line i do but like too how how um morrison writes that all these characters who don't know wolverine very well are terrified of him <laughs> Because that well, they should be. They should yeah. be scared of him. I do like as well how Morrison's like, you know, Wolverine needs to sleep for like twelve hours after he's had his, uh, you know, big adventure. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes yeah. complete sense. He should need a lot of rest. Yeah, or a lot of food, like one or the other, or both. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the. I like the the way that dust's powers are depicted here too. And like how it, it forms from the inside out, like with their skeleton first and then everything else comes together. Mm-hmm. I did think that was a cool little effect. And I love the coloring on this too. It's, um, it, it's not like, you know, it's very, it's, it's, what's the way to describe it? It's like almost like a, a semi-translucent coloring like they're they're probably playing with the opacity layers on that when they're doing that i think it's a really nice effect that makes the the sand pop out a bit more Mm okay uh anything else to to say about this issue um i'll say one thing uh i was going to touch on briefly well first of all i just wanted to mention the cover we haven't spoke about the cover yet and um when i re-looked at the cover for this uh, podcast i didn't realize but wolverine so you've got um the nickwub and dust's eyes and wolverine is in the reflection of her eyes mm-hmm. but wolverine is standing in her eyes like an x mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i never got i never realized that she was like he was like x in her eyes before which made me uh, have a a better appreciation for for the cover i think it was a cool issue one thing i would say is um so university in my media degree we studied this this uh, text by um edward said and he sort of invented well i don't know if he invented but he coined this term oriental orientalism mm-hmm. and it's all about 
the way Western cultures portray Eastern cultures or Middle Eastern cultures. And um, this issue is a really perfect example of oral antilism. What's wrong with me today? Yeah, I'm so tongue-tied. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost on the nose for the fact that, you know, Wolverine visits Afghanistan and he doesn't see any nice villages. He doesn't see any of the people um, producing their own foods. Instead, he finds sex slave traffickers. And uh, then you have the, the first Muslim Arab X-Men and she's an Arab person that turns to dust. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's almost no yeah there's there's a definite aspect of that and that's there's always been that attempt to like tie more so than than you see with a lot of western characters was to to to, actually it happens a lot with it happens sometimes with characters from other countries too like you had shamrock from ireland (laughs) yeah yeah um you know give an irish person luck powers that kind of shit but but mostly it's this kind of stuff only tends yeah, to happen. Yeah, but they don't. With... They don't make. They don't make the Irish people look. Um... Right, right. But I'm saying like it doesn't. It happens more. You're right. It does happen more with um, non-Anglo cultures where their powers and and, and every is tied some... to their ethnic identity in some way. Like even Sunfire, right? You were talking about Sunfire before. He, you know, he has nuclear powers because his his grandfather was at Hiroshima or something like that. Yeah, it's 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 not so much about I guess what Sayed was saying was not so much more about the tokenism or or you know having if you're from Ireland you're from good luck or if you're from uh, Japan near Hiroshima you've got nuclear powers it's more just in the context of being one culture being superior than the other mm-hmm. so all mm-hmm. of the images we see of Afghanistan they're all poor people they're all um, you know quite violent scenes. Um, one one trope that it always goes down to is look how we treat their women. Yeah, look how they treat yeah. their women, right? And um, you know that's that happens in this. It's like it's like a textbook example. I wish I could have um, given this book to my professor and said, look at this. You know, it's a perfect example of it. And even if it's unintentional, it's still there and it's so seeped within our culture that we it happens and we don't even notice. Yeah. No. Yeah. Definitely. That's a that's a good point. Um, and especially like, you know, I think Van Skyver enjoyed drawing these pages of Wolverine massacring fundamentalists a little too much, probably. Mm. It's, uh, yeah, it, it is like, for me, when I read back on it, I'm like, oh, it's a little, uh, it's a little on the nose. Mm. That's, I think that's, that's how I'll say it. It's a little on the nose. Well, I mean, I, I mean, the point's well taken, but I, I think, I mean, it, it was like a short part of the issue where Logan is there to rescue her from these baddies. Well, I mean, I, I can, like, I, I don't know if this is like that textbook case of Orientalism. Because, I mean, I, I don't think this depiction necessarily, like, says that those other things don't exist. Like, I mean, it's a particular scene that's trying to serve a particular purpose in the story. I think Morrison was I think they were well-intentioned with what they were trying to do with with Dust but 
the Orientalism definitely comes across, especially in looking back on it 20 years later. Every depiction of an Arab person in this book is... Um, it reflects some stereotype about Arab people. Yeah, you're right. Definitely, and not a great one. Mm-hmm. Not yeah, a great I mean, one. And I mean, the whole, the whole idea is behind dust is that, you know, Phantom X says they try to take off her, <clears throat> her niqab and then, and then she killed them, right? That's, yeah, and she reacts in a really violent way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was something that, you know, it wasn't, in fact, I think it wasn't until the new X-Men uh, comics that she actually took off the niqab at, at some point. Um, yeah, when she was in the girls' dorm. Right. And um, yeah, which was, in, which was, I remember reading and being like, oh, wow, like, you know, shocked that we get to see her in that way as the <laughs> audience, um, which is, I guess, what they, they had intended. But um, a really cool progression of the character. She becomes a very cool character as as her uh, time in the X-Men goes. That's the great thing about this uh, issue, actually, is that even though it is a little bit um, stereotypical that the character from the Middle East turns into sand, um, she does end up being quite a cool character. I mean, that happens with a lot of these characters. I mean, you want to, I mean, go back and read some of the early Luke Cage issues. and mm-hmm. It's very stereotypical. Um, but then he ends up, you know, then you end up getting, you know, eventually the point where you have Mike Coulter playing him on Netflix and it's awesome. So, so yeah, there's, I, I think that's, I don't think any, I think, and, you know, taking this in a, another direction, I think, people who were saying that you can't do, for example, the Mandarin in a modern day context without it being racist. I, I think Shang-Chi proved them all wrong with that. I mean, even these characters have these ignoble origins. It doesn't mean that they have to stay that way. You can move them beyond that. You can, you can move, yeah, that's yeah. true. I agree, agreed, agreed. We do have that ability. I thought the Mandarin was done just as an offshoot. I think the Mandarin was done really well in Iron Man. I thought that was uh, such a cool bait and switch, and uh, I think they actually pulled it off. I was, I enjoyed that. I I liked the intent behind it, but I didn't like the the execution of it. I felt it. And was... the fact that they got that ca- that actor was yeah, even more perfect. Ben Kingsley was, was one... hilarious in that. I do give, I do have ben... to give him credit like that. Ben Kingsley didn't he win an Oscar for playing Gandhi? Yeah. Yes, he did. That's why he was perfect. It was mm-hmm. so good. I loved it. I'm a big fan of uh, of Ben Kinsley's depiction of the Mandarin, and in Shang Chi, he was great in that. So I like loved him in Shang Chi. Took the joke yeah. further, you know. It, it just pushed a great joke even further. Loved it. It was the best part of that film. Yeah, Shang uh, Chi redeemed Iron Man three in some respects for me. I still okay. don't really like it, but for not only because of the Mandarin stuff, there's there's other things I don't like about that movie. But but we're actually if. You know, if you listen to my other podcasts, um, I was actually just emailing with uh, some guests today. So we're going to be doing um, then that's one of the movies that they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I'll get to rant about that later. We look forward to hearing it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, OK, so I think that's all we got to say about uh, 133. So, guys, you want to tell people where they can find you? Sure. You can listen to my little rants on Twitter at ODAT220. Uh, you can check out my Tumblr at 
perfect fabricated killing machine um and if you want more x-men content i'm also another podcast called Krakoan exports and i'm at um my website percivalconstantine.com and then superherocinephiles.com my other podcast about superhero movies um uh, Pat's going to be on an upcoming episode talk about Eternals and uh, we already recorded it but it hasn't released yet and both of, both Pat and Oscar were on a few months back when we talked about Generation X so you go listen to us on that um, and as for this page we're now at anchor.fm slash e evolution and we are Morrison XPod on both Twitter and Instagram thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time bye E for Evolution, Examining Grant Morrison's X-Men, is produced by Percival Constantine, with theme music by Aaron Kenny. Audio of Grant Morrison and Stan Lee was recorded at San Diego Comic-Con 2008 and provided by bravogabo.livejournal.com. You can find E for Evolution on Twitter and Instagram at MorrisonXPod and on the web at eforevolution.transistor.fm. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email address is eforevolutionpodcast at gmail.com. Support the show by leaving us a review at Apple Podcasts, which helps us reach more listeners. Special thanks to the members of the House of X Facebook group for their encouragement in getting this show started.